1: Hello, welcome to Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets mindful. I'm your host, Nikki Eisenhower, life coach and psychotherapist. And on today's episode, I'm discussing drama versus theatrics. In this episode, I'm going to attempt to define and differentiate between trauma, drama, and theatrics, and I hope that sharing my process of self-discovery when it comes to the difference between drama and theatrics and trauma helps you see, understand, and ultimately and hopefully guide yourself away from unnecessary drama and toward easier healing by better respecting your most precious resources of time and energy by not giving precious time and energy to unnecessary drama. I share my story not because we are the same, rather because we learn how to be people by witnessing each other. We find ourselves or we find our own principles. What is a yes for us? What is a no for us? in the space where we sense what is similar and different. As we learn about ourselves by relating to other people, by relating through other people, we find our similarities, we find our differences. So I hope that the more that I share, it helps you hone in on who you are, who you aren't, what you want out of life, what you don't want, the empowered choices that you can make for yourself in this one precious life. Now, my own personal tolerance for drama is very, very low. You might have more space for drama in your life, and it might not take the energetic toll that it does on me. So this isn't an episode of me defining what is right. It is on you to decide your own limits, your own boundaries, and your own ownership of drama in your life, how much you allow in and how much you don't. This is part of why I teach boundaries. I'm asking for some grace because defining things like drama is nearly impossible to fully nail down. And yet drama is often what I see affecting people's lives and their recovery. So this is my effort to name what is so difficult to name because drama is a central issue to the HSP experience. Let's make our first distinction. So Life, our lives, this, this human experience that we're having, it is a certain amount of dramatic. I mean, there is enough drama that we have to deal with in this life that happens organically. It happens normally. It happens naturally. It's inescapable. And I am a person who has had a lot of inescapable drama, especially in my early life. My biological father's abandonment was profoundly dramatic. It fundamentally changed the trajectory of who I became as a human being. My mother was violent and scary. She was overly reactive to the simplest of stimuli. I grew up with her hanging little pictures over holes that she punched in walls. She once beat the dashboard of the car by punching over and over again because of the wedding song of My stepdad's ex-wife, he and his ex-wife came on the radio while I was in the front passenger seat. This was just drama. Now, it didn't traumatize me to see her punch the dashboard. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't an enjoyable moment. But I knew in that moment that she wasn't coming after me. It didn't traumatize me to see her punch that dashboard or the radio, but it dramatized me. This type of behavior so continuously in my life, in front of me, around me, as a spongy, highly sensitive person, it normalized ridiculously charged responses to very, very low stimuli. In this example, just a song coming on the radio. My closest grandparents, who were my functional parents, died when I was 15 and then 17 I've never driven a car as fast as when I left school my senior year to race to the hospital to see my grandfather before he died. And in this moment, this highly charged, dramatic life moment, him having had another heart attack, he had already survived triple bypasses and I don't know how many strokes and heart attacks. But this became the moment in my life with him. The only moment of my life that anyone that I'm related to from my mom's family of origin acknowledged in this way. He said something had been wrong with my mother since birth and always that something is missing. Something is not right inside of her. That's the way that he described his own daughter, my mother, to me on his deathbed. And he died within 48 hours of giving me this acknowledgement of what I would figure out later was sociopathy and narcissism. If I was writing a death scene, I don't know that I could write a more dramatic scene than the scene that I lived out with him, rushing to the hospital in my car. My mother grabbing me in the waiting room, telling me that I better lie to him and say that I had lived back at home and having to process that and decide how to present that to him on his deathbed. It was May of my senior year that he died. I had left home. In October of my senior year, seven to eight months previous to his death, there had been time to have some conversations with me, he or my mom's five siblings, but it didn't happen that way. It happened in this big, dramatic moment of the last moments of his life. When I pressed charges a few years later against my adoptive father at the age of 23, Part of that long story is that detectives put me in a room with a recording device towards the end of a 12-hour day where I had to repeat and repeat and repeat. It was kind interrogation because I wasn't a criminal, but it still felt like an interrogation. Every hashing of my abuse memories over and over again. I said that I could I was used to taking on more than what I should have. I was a parentified sibling I had been born an old soul I felt capable of taking this on at 23 in that moment where I was trying to get my dad to Admit to abuse. He was in route to ditch his vehicle He was on his way to steal a company vehicle that he had access to He was attempting to disappear as he realized that the police were closing in on him. I did get him to confess on tape to some incriminatory behavior about climbing into my bed and climbing into my siblings' beds at night. And I felt so proud of myself for a brief nanosecond. It was one of the heaviest, longest days of my life. And when I hung up and that recording stopped, I wanted to turn around. I really needed those detectives to give me an atta girl. And I had asked them so many questions before we started this recording of my dad. They had told me that I could say anything to him to get the information out, to get him to try to confess. And I had explained to them that our relationship had turned contentious, that he would expect me if I was engaging him to be rageful because that was the only way I had engaged him in months past, that I couldn't be calm and reasonable or he would know that he was being recorded, that it was a setup. They looked at me looking small and cute and made a bunch of assumptions and didn't really hear what I was saying. So I did what I said, and I raged at him like I said I would, and it worked. I desperately needed to know that I had been effective. And when I turned, they told me that I couldn't use it in court because I had threatened his life more than that. I had threatened to beat every bone in his body with a baseball bat. I fell to the ground, not quite fainting, but from my muscles just deciding that they couldn't hold me up anymore. I crumpled into a pile. It was within days that I self-checked in to a psychiatric hospital. The next year when I left my first marriage, I lost my stepdaughter and I grieved her as if I lost my own child, as if she had died. I have had a lot of high drama, a lot of situational drama. I had felt a lot of shame about my life's drama. I hadn't known what to do with that shame. I hadn't known what to do with the drama. I hadn't known how to distinguish between situational life drama happening to me. Like my mom marrying an abuser when I was a child versus the creation of unnecessary drama in my own life, taking the reins of my life as an adult, honoring that that is one of the main differences between our childhoods and our adulthoods, that we get to be in control of the choices that we're making in ways that we just couldn't when we were younger. It was maybe 12, 13 years ago, a therapist friend of mine who was basically the older brother that I always wanted growing up. He interrupted me as I was apologizing for discussing something dramatic that was happening to me at that time, and it was something outside of my control. And he interrupted me and said, Nikki, you aren't drama. You're theatrical, but you're not drama. And wow, did that hit me. It hit me right in my intuitive gut with an oomph this is it, this is, this is it right here. This was something important for me. I trusted him in part because he had been a performer before he had been a counselor. He had a history of being on stage. I trusted that he knew drama, he knew theatrics. And the fact that he knew that I wasn't creating what I was having to deal with felt profound to me. Like he could see something in myself that I had struggled to see. And it came into focus because he could see it. And then I could see it. This distinction freed me and it showed me that I was also drawn to low drama people. I had also been drawn to some high drama people. But I had also taken on trying to lower the drama in a very codependent way. I could see that I had endless patience for life's drama that happens to people as they are going through trying to handle whatever life throws. But I had little to no patience for the drama that is self-created. And this is a key distinction in awakening to our truer and higher selves, y'all. We have so much empowerment to build the life that we want. I teach boundaries in a lot of ways to keep unnecessary drama out of our lives so that we can learn how to create containers that are low drama, so that we actually have the energy to attend to the things that we need to attend to in our internal worlds, in our bodies, and then in the external world that we're relating to all around us constantly. Drama in the psychological sense, drama in the sense of how we as people must relate to and with each other is the act of putting energy into making mountains out of molehills. That is drama. When we put energy into making something bigger than it needs to be, bigger than it would serve us to be, that is a drama mindset. Turning smallish dilemmas into larger-than-necessary problems, drama. Drama sees a spark and throws gasoline on top as if that is the smartest, rightest thing we could do in that moment. This is unfortunately what a childhood in a dysfunctional family accidentally teaches us to do. Drama sees two or more choices and chooses the one more likely to maximize chaos now and in the coming future. Once my friends shined light on this distinction between drama and being theatrical, I could own the parts of me that had previously made me judge myself as the bringer of the drama, as the bringer of the stuff that hurts me, as the bringer of the stuff that drains me. When I really wasn't, this distinction helped me love my true self and trust my personal ownership as a value system. From this moment on, I've been better able to own that I am theatrically a good storyteller. I am flamboyant in my expression and in my word. I am colorful. I'm expressive. I'm sometimes intense with wonder and insight, often to embody an inspired teacher, often to model the healthiness of being in wonder. And being in excitement very different than being in drama. I'm passionate and I get excited for myself and others who shed what no longer serves them. A low drama choice versus gripping what is familiar from our dysfunction, gripping what is chaotic, gripping the power to create the drama versus holding the power to clear it. That's a high drama choice and we tend as human beings to go towards what we know until we know something new and different. If we were raised in high drama, we likely have gone after high drama in ways that unfortunately have not served us very well. I was better able through this distinction to own my emotional intensity And feel through those emotions, trusting that I felt intensely as I moved through life's drama. And I could start to trust that I wasn't making my own, that I did have the insight. I did have the intention to choose low drama for myself in all the ways that I could. This is empowerment, choosing less drama. And the more that we choose less drama with consistency, the more that we are engaging our healing instead of those old programs learned from childhood that continue to choose more and more and more chaos and drama. No wonder as a tribe, we are tired. Untreated and low insight people with cluster B personality disorder traits tend to create unnecessary drama for themselves and anyone close to them. We can have a lot of compassion for this. If it's our own struggle, we can have self-compassion. If it's the struggle of someone that we love, we can have compassion. Compassion is not an invitation to get wrapped up in drama. There can be an emotional boundary there that we set for ourselves where we empathize without taking on the drama of another. I have a lot of empathy for the mindlessness or the blindness that these people struggle with, that keeps them repeating drama, that keeps them exhausting themselves, because this winds up pushing away healthier people that would be willing to help them stabilize, grow, and evolve into healthier, more grounded choices than dramatic choices. Yes, these are people who have had a lot of childhood instability and trauma, internally and externally, or the external taught the internal chaos. One of the struggles of growing up with this type of chaotic trauma is that we can go into trauma repetition as a survivor. And that sounds backwards. It's, it's why I say so often that a lot of our psychology is paradoxical. If we had a lot of trauma on the face, we really should want less trauma. And be doing everything that we can do to not repeat our trauma. So why the hell would we have trauma repetition as part of our psychology response? Well, because the human condition tends to lean towards what it knows, not naturally towards what is good for it. So if we've been traumatized, we tend to repeat it because we want a sense of control, And if we have learned that a lot of drama gets thrown at us, we might on a subconscious level decide to be the creator of the drama because at least then I can't be blindsided. And if it's going to all be dramatic, let me just be the creator of it. It's not that that's ever a conscious thought, but our psychology can sort of grab that as the way of being for life. This is a blind spot that we can have. And hopefully if you're hearing this and this is, and you fit into what I'm talking about, then this sort of turns on the light and maybe you can see more and then you can change more so that you can take the reins of your life and have control in a healthier, clearing, freeing, grounded way instead of trying to grab at some dysfunctional control that doesn't bring peace. If you've ever known anyone who has had dysfunctional relationships, but also seems to have an uncanny superpower to continue to date and partner and marry almost the same person with the same drama, the same kind of problems over and over and over again. This is often the trapping of some personality disorder traits or the trapping of a drama program that started way back in childhood. Without insight and personal responsibility and dedication, it's all too easy to stay blind to, to stay in the same chaos. But with insight and personal responsibility and dedication, these dynamics can be changed. You can choose your way into a healthier life. You can choose your way into peace. You can choose your way into groundedness. You can choose to give yourself calm security and learn the peacefulness of that as a gift to yourself, as an honoring of your one precious life. It is tragic and it's sad, and it's a very real dynamic of modern society for people to be obsessed, addicted to drama because it's familiar. Healthiness grounds us Healthiness offers us more and more groundedness, and we learn how to live from that grounded place. At first, it might be scary to have peace. We might not know what to do with it. Just like someone who's starved, of course, they want a full meal, but their body might not know what to do with that. They have to go slowly. They have to work up into a full, healthy meal. Unnecessary self-created drama blocks and clouds insight and intuition. Unnecessary self-created drama, blocks and clouds, personal responsibility. If someone cannot own their power to choose less drama moment to moment, more groundedness moment to moment, then they basically will not become empowered towards peace and thriving and will keep their system in a stimulated activated anxious state healthiness chooses a calm grounded route to walk with each step dysfunction chooses a dramatic reactive victimy route that often re-traumatizes this distinction between theatrical expression And drama helped me let go of the shame and victim mentality that accompanied the idea that I was creating drama, that I was drama. And this helped me distinguish between life's natural drama, granted some of us being born into more drama than others, and the mindless creating of even more drama. This is the unnecessary drama that we can learn to let go of, that we can learn to no longer choose And if we are in self-love and self-respect and self-regard, I want to say we better choose less drama than more drama in the ways that we can so that we can actually have the energy to deal with the drama of life that we have no choice in. I don't want this episode to get past me without naming this important piece. The concepts I'm discussing today get sticky when we consider the law of attraction and spirituality versus our human experience. So the law of attraction says that I am attracting everything to me. So doesn't that prove that I'm drama if I'm having to live through drama? And I understand this line of thought. I fell for it in a way that brought on more shame. Shame really likes this thought. I had shame that I was bringing this drama even in this law of attraction way that I didn't quite understand how to get out of at the time. I felt embarrassed. I let this awareness ding my self-worth because I thought on some level that a worthy person doesn't create drama, doesn't have to move through so much drama and struggle. Through the lens of spiritual law of abundance, I can own it now without shame. I can let go of the shame piece. I can own that everything was happening. Every drama was happening for me, not to me. Without the pileup of drama, I don't know that I would have ever gotten to the place of being able to see and own what drama is and that I can craft a life outside of unnecessary drama. That I have and hold the power to move away from drama, to move away from people who seem to endlessly create their own drama, person to person and situation to situation. I can make this choice for myself now and always, moment to moment. I get to own that I have the power to craft and create my life as drama-free as possible. Without the pain and struggle of these dynamics that exhausted and shamed me, this insight, this guiding force in my life might not have lit up like a guiding star. So we do attract what we need. And what I needed was to be able to have clarity on the difference between unnecessary created drama and life's drama in my own life and in the lives of others. Shaming myself was just the critical voice, the inner bully, which is just another form of drama taught to me, soaked up by my high sensitivity, that in my healing journey, I've had to learn how to wring out what I've soaked up so that I can grow the life that serves me and let go of what no longer serves and never did. The cluster B personality disorders are full of unnecessary drama creation. The personality disorders associated with cluster B are antisocial, borderline histrionic, and narcissistic personality disorder. These are the personality disorders and the associated traits with those disorders that typically impact interpersonal relationships the most and the most negatively, Because there tends to be a lot of created drama that affects themselves and the surrounding players in life. I'm going to go through some loose criteria of borderline personality disorder to help us see the drama. Now, in general, borderline personality disorder is riddled with deep fear of loneliness. And that tends to come from abandonment wounding early in childhood. One of the truths about our human experience is that we tend to fear what we've already endured. Isn't that an interesting thing to think about? That most of the things that we're currently scared of are things that we've already endured, we've already survived, we've already overcome them. They were hard. That's part of why our system sets up a hypervigilance about never wanting that thing to happen again. But this fear of loneliness tends to create this push-pull. If you hurt me, I want you to go away from me. Then I feel a fear of loneliness and potential rejection and potential abandonment. Then I want you really, really close. And I'm going to say the sugary, syrupy, sweet things to then try to get you closer. Like flies to honey. And so this creates a very exhausting internally for the self and externally for other supports. People who care. Of push and pull. People who struggle with borderline traits tend to have frequent displays of anger and reactivity, black and white, all or nothing thinking, because the drama can really grow in the dynamics of that pendulum swinging wildly. If someone is all good, oh, I can be lovey dovey with them. Someone hurts me, someone has a dissenting opinion, I can be super offended. F you, get away from me energy. And this Drives the drama, and that drama may have become the dysfunctional comfort zone. There can be feelings of emptiness, which tends to create a whole lot of controlling and demanding energies around other people. It's as if someone that struggles with these fears and these traits looks at other people and demands hey, I don't know how to make myself feel secure, so you better make me feel secure. That is your role around me. And then when they fail, because we cannot heal our own insecurity through another person, we have to do that work ourselves, then there's just more and more drama. People who struggle with these traits tend to report a lot of instability in their relationships, a lot of instability in their relationship with self. They have a very damaged sense of self, which means that it's hard to hold on to who they really are. So if you really are grounded in, I'm a good person, I'm a human being who is flawed and can make mistakes, but I'm going to love myself through my human messiness, through my mistakes, through my growth edges, then we don't swing so wildly. We're not as reactive, even in our relationship to ourselves, we're more stabilized There tends to be an impulsiveness in people who struggle with these traits. And we all as human beings have certain impulses. We have certain feelings that might come out of nowhere, that might be very sharp, that might poke us into some behaviors or desires. We all, all have such feelings and such impulses over the course of a life. Allowing these impulses to become behaviors Without boundaries, without restraint, creates more drama. Just like the impulse to maybe buy new clothes if you're on a tight budget, which then brings drama when it's time to come up with rent money or cell phone money when you don't have it, you spent it on other things. This type of drama can show up in little subtle daily ways. Because then if you can't pay your cell phone bill, and you can't call into work to say you're a couple minutes late and it's just spinning and spinning and spinning. Drama in this way may be similar to lies. I think we all sort of know on some level that if we lie, that lie can get bigger and bigger and kind of spin out of control until we're caught. And our drama tends to expand in such a way too, bigger and bigger and bigger, more potential chaos, more potential drama.
0: Hi, everyone. It's Jean Chatsky, host of the Her Money podcast. For seven years, my show has been changing the relationships women have with money. Because make no mistake, when it comes to money, women are different. We face challenges that men don't. Longer lifespans, caregiving, a gender pay gap that just won't quit. Oh, and the fact that the financial industry was built by men for men. We need information specifically for us presented without jargon in a judgment-free zone. And that's what the Her Money podcast is all about. Every week, we talk about earning more, spending smart, investing to build the life you want, and protecting yourself from disaster. Subscribe to Her Money with Jean Chatsky wherever you get your podcasts. Because when you own your money... You own your life. Being in confusion
1: is something that a lot of highly sensitive people struggle with and a lot of people with borderline traits. Now that sounds pretty reasonable when I say that out loud, right? Oh yeah, we're, we're confused. We don't know everything. But part of what happens in our high sensitivity is that we tend to choose so much is choice you guys. We tend to choose confusion as a subconscious commitment to drama. Confusion in this way is a low-key internalized drama. It's a continued upheaval. I cannot tell you how many times in any week or month that I say to different clients or somebody in a Patreon live stream, hey, I see you going into confusion And I see you going into the drama of that confusion as a dysfunctional comfort zone More often than not the truth is you really aren't confused And I can tell that you know what needs to happen next You just don't like it or you're just scared of what'll happen if you take that step If I lean in and ask you to let go of the confusion in this moment And I ask you to answer the question right now without overthinking What do you know for sure about this situation? And if someone is willing to get out of the drama and into a new and different practice, they will dig deep and they will answer. And the answer will be grounding like, I need to stop overthinking. Yep, I do know what I need to do. Or I just don't want to speak up. I just don't want to deal with this. I'm scared of being wrong or judged. I'm scared of setting the boundary. I'm scared they won't like me anymore. I'm scared they'll abandon me. But we do know most of the time, we do know what needs to happen. And when people admit this to themselves, they are choosing the low drama choice. High drama stays confused, wants to stay confused. And the drama gremlin lashes out when I try to confront this. At my request to be something other than drama, to do something other than drama, that's the confrontation that I offer my clients in that moment, and they can either take it and confront their own drama, or they can toss it out the window and stay in that confused, dramatic state. When someone is committed to drama in old programmed comfort zones, I will hear blaming and shaming language thrown at me in this confrontation. It'll sound something like, God, Nikki, I am just trying to process my feelings, but I guess I'm doing it wrong and should do it your way. Trying to shame me, trying to shame me back in my place, trying to shame away that confrontation. The drama gremlins are good at that. They're good at knowing what to say to shut me up because I am offering a route away from drama and those gremlins are never, ever going to want to take that route away from drama. They feed on drama. So to be able to effectively help first myself in this dynamic and then others, I've had to learn how to not take the bait and not get thrown off when those gremlins try to shame me into enabling them, enabling the drama. Those gremlins want me back into listening mode, back into hand-holding space versus confronting that drama. It is part of this human condition that we were all born into, that our human egos fight for homeostasis. They fight for sameness. Our human egos resist change strongly, even when we have tons of evidence that a healthy change would be really good for us. The ego just resists that change because to change means the way that I was doing it now or before wasn't the best way. And our human ego does not like acknowledging that particularly if we come from homes where we didn't see people acknowledging their own flaws, their own human mistakes. Very smart, highly sensitive people will sometimes word their judgments in the form of questions, thinking that they are clever and not showing judgment. Because our human egos, y'all, they're just as smart as our best smarts. Our dysfunction is smart when we are very smart, Healing is getting smarter than our dysfunction. Sometimes these questions come and sound like, hey, Nikki, why do you use male and female on the show? Don't you care about trans people? Which is a veiled accusation that I don't. Or that I might care, but I am failing. I'm not good enough. Sometimes if someone is particularly addicted to drama, they'll schedule a session with me On their own they'll schedule it and they'll show up and repeat over and over again I just don't know what to even talk about today Drama tends to stay lost and confused Healing resists that pull into drama Healing takes a deep breath Healing finds something to work on Because that is the work that is the process of change So what i'm saying is that drama can be loud or it can be quiet, it can be big, or it can be small, it can be attention-seeking, or it can be little and pouty and powerless. And this keeps the drama going. also want to mention risk-seeking behaviors such as gambling or unsafe sex. And I think that's self-explanatory. Of course we would have riskier behaviors if there's a part of our psychology that is really going after drama. Unsafe, risky behaviors are drama gold. And the next thing I'm going to name, I know might get some pushback. Suicidal threats. Now, I think this is really important to speak of because the suicide rate is rising. What we are doing as a society to manage depression, to manage things like suicidal ideation, I don't think it's working or that rate would go down. So I'm going to talk about it in my way, and my way isn't like anybody else's way. I'm going to name it. And I have had suicidal ideation before in my life. I know firsthand that a lot of that is about drama, and mental health in general does not seem to want to name that. They want to coddle this idea, and this is not an idea to coddle. This is something that we have to get strong as individuals in disallowing Suicidal ideation in our minds. We cannot toy and play around with that drama. That is a very dangerous drama to play around with and to allow in your mind. And as mental health professionals, it really is our job to confront these irrational beliefs, these irrational thoughts, these dysfunctional thoughts that bring people closer and closer to dysfunctional behavior. Thoughts become things. We have to bring a lot of integrity and a lot of honesty to our own process if we are to let go of suicidal ideation, if we are to not self-harm. Drama is charged, and not much more is charged in this life than dramatically exclaiming, I'll kill myself. It stops the lives of everyone around that person. People have to figure out what to do, how to try to help And a suicidal threat may be genuine. It may be tragically sincere. The level of drama is there, whether it is a real threat or just something to say to elicit a response. I do believe in general, something that I want to talk about in more episodes, I do believe that one of the main, if not the main issue of our time that we are not naming and not dealing with, and I suspect the news will never name because they are the chief culprit, is manipulation. And certainly, suicidal threat is used as a manipulative tool. Low self esteemed people are more willing to seek out risky behaviors like gambling, unsafe sex, reckless or drunk driving, playing games like Russian roulette with a gun. Risk-seeking behaviors can be big and glaring like reckless driving or a suicide attempt, or it can be subtle like cutting it close to getting to work on time nearly every day, almost being late, which creates, guess what? Drama. Because it would be so much simpler to just wake up 15 minutes earlier. It would be so much simpler to restructure your morning and take that drama, take that stressing out of your life because you absolutely can control that in your life. In recovery, boredom is often named as the number one trigger. And in suicidal ideation, there is a boredom. That suicidal ideation grows in the spaces where they are alone, where the story that someone is telling themselves is so dark, is so powerless, is so negative, is so caught in a dysfunctional thought loop. We have to deal with allowing ourselves to learn a healthy amount of boredom, that we are not to be constantly stimulated, that we cannot escape what is truly going on in our psychology by going into drama, 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 distraction, 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 escapism, escapism, escapism. We have to deal as human beings with what happens in the moments where we get quiet, where there is no distraction. So many people who have suicidal ideation inside of their minds are not combating the inner bully are not eradicating that inner critic from their self-talk. In my addiction work, which is one of my specialties if you're new to the show, I tend to use a lens like I have not seen other professionals use. And if there are other professionals using this lens, I am unaware of you or your work out there. Maybe we'll meet one day. But many addiction professionals are taught to use a lens of a client being addicted to a substance or a behavior. We call the behaviors process addictions, like sex, gambling, shopping. You get that high without even putting a substance into the body. Process addiction is the name of that. But I often see a client through a lens of being addicted to drama So in my lens, people don't so much relapse on alcohol or relapse on their drug of choice, even when they do. What I look at is, are you relapsing on drama? Are you addicted to drama? Are you so uncomfortable with stillness, with quietness, with becoming bored in recovery? That addiction is the roller coaster that you keep jumping on. There is a real risk with people that are not combating that critical voice that grabs suicide as a topic in their minds. There's a real risk of a little boy who cried wolf dynamic here. And if you don't know that childhood fable, that age old story, that little boy cries wolf in the village when there is no wolf and he does it once and he does it twice and he does it again until the villagers go, ah, he's full of it. And then he cries wolf when there's really a wolf and nobody does anything. If we are really to help, particularly our younger people and our older men that have a very high suicide rate, we have to get real about what dynamics are at play. And this sort of Hollywood idea that people are so, so, so sad That they commit suicide is sometimes the truth of things. But the people that I have known to commit suicide, they did it dramatically. Real life is not the movies. The real life suicides that I have been adjacent to professionally or personally were violent. They were dramatic. My client who committed suicide drove to his daughter's grave and shot himself in the chest Completely sober when he had been struggling with addiction. He had been sober for I believe 70 days when he made this choice I love this man. I still think about him. I still have little conversations like I wish you were here I'll call him paul for the sake of this episode and I know damn good and well That if I had the magical power to summon paul for this episode right now, he'd very likely admit Nikki damn it. The drama got me In that moment and that's what his family who's spoken to me and would come to my family therapy Told me I thought they would be very upset with me and they weren't They actually thanked me for helping him have a sober end to his life And they thought that he just made a dramatic choice in one moment I do believe that that is the culprit of a whole lot of suicidal ideation and then action I really hope That this episode inspires you to start really looking at the drama that might reside in your own self-talk and how that drama is attached to the choices that you make for yourself and for your life and that you consciously, with eyes wide open, consult with yourself, check in with yourself. Is this thought coming from my wise woman? Is this thought coming from my wisest part as a wise man? Or is this part coming from my wound Is it coming and choosing drama just to keep me in what I've always known? There's that old saying, if we always do what we've always done, we'll always get what we've always gotten. So to get something different out of life, you really have to lean into the choices that are healthily uncomfortable and understand that some of our dysfunctional psychology really sits in our minds like gremlins it really calls us into the drama because that's what feeds those gremlins. And I want to make this comment because I'm talking about suicide. And for whatever reason, whenever I name this, it seems to draw the word police out and I won't really give any energy to the word police. So you don't have to waste your time with me because I believe that's just drama too. I know what I'm saying when I say committed suicide And just because some group or some organization decides that that's no longer an appropriate term, that doesn't automatically mean that I give in to that. I disagree. Each time I publicly say the phrase committed suicide, I get pushback that it's hurtful to family members. I am a believer, and part of why I do this show is because the truth sets us free. If someone takes another's life, it is a committed murder. If someone takes their own life, I am comfortable with the language, committed suicide. Playing semantics, playing at fragility, enabling hypersensitivity for the highly sensitive is not what heals people. It's not what I'm about. It's not what this show is about. This show is for real people who are trying to get into the nitty gritty of their own psychology and really, truly shed what no longer serves. And often this well-intentioned word policing around all topics, not just this one, is an attempt to placate hypersensitivity. If I thought that helped people, I'd be all for it. It doesn't. We have to get real about what will help us in this lifetime. And all of that word policing is just more drama. It's more distraction. And it's a masked righteousness that does not really help us. Verbal virtue signaling will not bring you to healthiness. Empowering yourself to make choices, to let go of what no longer or never did serve you, and leaning in with courage, with self-compassion, to growing new ways of being, new ideas, new thought patterns, that is what will heal you. The very next episode that will be released right here next week is going to be a part two to this episode, and it's going to be 10 things that you can do if you struggle with suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideation, things that you can actively do to eradicate that from your process, because thoughts do become things. Thoughts do become our behaviors. One of the wisest things someone told me many, many years ago, and I have taken it into my heart, stuck it in my pocket, and carried it with me always, is that thoughts are spells. Cast them wisely. That's what the next episode will be about, y'all. If you would like more of what I'm offering, come find us at patreon.com backslash emotional badass. This Thursday, December 1st, we have a very special live stream with Crystal Catalina about the holidays and emotional eating for all levels on our patreon we also have tons of exclusive episodes there and it is a little community of people who are very serious about getting this kind of unnecessary drama out of their lives finding groundedness finding peace and doing the real work that it takes to manage this this spiritual life through this human experience Internally as the singular individuals that we are and externally as beings that are biologically wired to relate to each other We need each other as human beings moving through the world If you had a difficult childhood, there's a lot to wring out and to let go of and it is absolutely possible And you deserve it. So does your inner child That's what this show is about. That's what the patreon is there for And if you're interested in that, it is just ready and waiting for you. Patreon.com backslash emotional badass. I'm an emotional badass. You are an emotional badass. And together, we are where Moxie meets mindful. Light and love. And I'll see you right here next time. Bye-bye.